If you have your Bibles, you can grab them quickly. Just remain standing for about a minute and a half. I promise we'll sit down. Proverbs chapter 115. Do you feel the presence of God this morning? I do. I hope you do, because I do. How awesome is it that the God who created heaven and earth desires to dwell amongst us, desires to touch us, desires to strengthen us, protect us, help us. It's beautiful. This is what it says. Can we have them up on the screens, please? Verse 9, 10, and 11. It says, Israel. Someone shout, Israel. Someone shout, Israel. Trust in the Lord. He is their helper and their shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Verse 11. I love this. This is where we're going to derive the principles of God today. I believe God's revealed something. He's going to reveal it to us today. Amen. You who fear the Lord, you who fear the Lord will trust in the Lord. You who fear the Lord will trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for it. I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that God, you would reveal to our hearts this morning the words you've given. I pray that I pray that I would decrease so that your spirit, oh God, would increase in this place. That I would be able to give this word, God, the way I know you spoke it to me. Help me to do that, I pray. And help us to be able to receive your word this morning, Jesus. We bind any spirit of offense in the house right now. We bind any religious spirit in the house right now. And we release the Holy Spirit in this place to reveal Jesus to each and every one of us here today, we pray. Lord, we need your anointing because it's your anointing that breaks the yoke. It's your anointing that sets us free. And we need your anointing this morning. We love you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. And it's in, in, in his name we pray. And everybody said, Amen, amen. Before you're seated, I want you to hug three people and tell them this. Say, trust fear. Tell them. Say, trust fear. Trust fear. I believe I have a word for you today. More importantly, I believe God has a word uh, for you today. If you're ready for the word, shout, I'm ready. ready. Amen. Just want to make sure you're with me. But let let me just start off by giving you the title of today's message. We'll just get it right out of the way. Trust fear. Tell your neighbor, trust fear. Trust fear. Now, if you're a guest with us today or you missed church last week, you're probably thinking to yourself, what's this dude talking about? He, has he lost his mind? Like, trust fear. I don't, want, I don't want fear anywhere near me or my family. I want rid of fear, right? Like, well, if that's you, let me just say, well, first of all, you should have been in church last week. I'm just saying, but <laughs> kidding, sort of half kidding, half not. But <clears throat> no, but... You might not fully understand this, this title um, 
But hopefully by the end of today, man, it'll all make perfect sense to you where God is leading us um, today. Because see, last week we launched into a brand new four-week study just titled straight fear, fear. And we started off more specifically, we're talking about the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. Because what we have to understand is this, that over 300 times in the Bible, God says we are to fear him. Over 300 times, and I don't know about you, but I think that if God mentioned something so many times, if he felt like it was necessary to repeat himself over 300 times, I think it's necessary for us to make it our purpose, our mission to understand it, to ask God that we could receive a revelation of it. Amen. Amen. 300 times God says it. Incredible. And the Lord put this series on my heart over six months ago, but he, he just released me to preach it last week. And, and look, man, I, I know this, it's not a very popular subject to preach in churches these days whatsoever. The fear of God's not real popular, especially if you want to get butts in the seats. Like people would say, no, preach on the favor of God, not the fear of God. Like teach on the blessings of God instead of the fear of Instead of the fear of God, preach about the grace of God and not, and not the fear of God. But I believe this, that God right now is speaking to the church that gummy bear Christianity is over. Like, like it's, it's the thing of the past, guys. Bubble gum preaching or rubber band preaching where everything's about you and not about him and everything's about me and not about him. All that's got to be over. It has to be. I believe that God is reestablishing his dominion in the church. I believe it. That God is, is changing the focus of the church. And he's saying, right now, you've got to start making the church about me, about him, and not about you any longer. Because we got to understand, it's about him. And if we make it about him, then he will be the one to draw people to himself. See, this, this is the goal. See, when we get things screwed up, we start making it about people because we're trying to reach people. P people are attracted to God. They just are. I mean, the love of God pulls, the kindness of God leads to repentance. So if we can make church about God, then God will start to draw the people. This is why Jesus said, if I be lifted up, this is what he said, if I be lifted up, not if you be lifted up, not if, not if people be lifted up, but, but if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. See, we got to get back to lifting up the person of Jesus and preferring the presence of God over a performance for people. Church has to get away from the performance-based and start pressing into presence-based. God, we want your presence. We long for your presence. We're long to feel, to feel you. We long to, to move you. Just reveal to us what moves you. Right now, God is recentering the church and He's doing so by getting us focused on the word of God, by getting us focused on how the word of God says we are to follow God. And I believe with all my heart, man, that God right now is drawing the hungry people. He's drawing the wild ones. Like Ezekiel talks about the wild ones. He's drawing in the burning ones that are hungry for him. And people are going to come to him, not even realizing they're hungry for him. They're just hungry for something. They're not sure what it is. And then they meet Jesus face to face and their whole life changes forever. 
Right now, God is readying his bride for the end times. Believe that when I tell you it. God is readying his bride for the end times. And so what he's doing, he's preparing his church so that the church will be able to do whatever pleases him, not what pleases them. He's trying to ready us so that we're prepared to do what he's calling us to do. And, and, and here's the truth. If, if we do not fear him, then we're not ready for him. We're not ready for him. If we don't fear him, then we're not ready to be used by him if we don't fear him. You know, and I've had people, you know, say multiple times to me, literally, well, we don't have to fear God because the fear of God is Old Testament. That, that's, that's the Old Testament law, brother. Like we're in the New Testament. We're under the new covenant. The Bible says the better covenant. So we don't have to fear God. L- let, me, let me say this and hear me and hear me clearly. That is literally a lie from the pit of hell. I mean, it is a lie straight from the enemy. Satan himself is whispering that to the churches and to people in the churches and to to pastors. And he's propagating this, this lie to the people of God. To fear God is not just an Old Testament thing. It's throughout the New Testament church. It's it's throughout the New Testament. Matter of fact, Paul says it this way. Work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Then again, it says it again and again. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2, it says it in Matthew chapter 10, Luke chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. says it in Ephesians chapter 5, in Ephesians chapter 6, Philippians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 4, and Revelation chapter 14. I don't have time to read all of them because we're going somewhere. I don't have time to stop and read all of them, but that's a reference for you. This is how many times through the New Testament alone that God is repeating, fear me. Have the fear of the Lord within you. Fear the word of God. Fear me. In Acts, it says it multiple times through the book of Acts. Multiple times. Multiple times. Multiple times. Fear me. Fear me. Fear me. And why is this so important? I'll tell you why I highlighted Acts. is because the book of Acts is the birth of the church. That's us. That's the New Testament church. We're in the church age. And it started in the book of Acts. The church age started in the book of Acts. And and what we've got to understand is that when God was establishing the church, he was building a foundation for the church. When he first birthed the church, he needed to make sure that it was was healthy, that it was nourished correctly. When something's new, you got to make sure the foundation is strong. And so by God speaking about fear so many times in the book of Acts at the beginning, what he's saying to us is, hey, listen, listen, I need you to, to be built upon the fear of God. I need you to do that. Because the fear of God, the Bible says, the fear of God will keep us from sinning against God. The kindness of God draws us to repentance, like I said a moment ago. But the fear of God will keep us from having to repent. Because we're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 I don't want to be away from God. I want to be with God. So I'm not going to choose that road over there. I'm going to deny my, myself. I'm going to pick up my cross and, and follow him. Now, does that mean we'll be perfect? No, we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. We're just not, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But let me tell you what it does mean. It does mean that we are to be holy as he is holy. We are to strive to live holy lives for Christ. And the fear of God will cause us to desire a holy life because I promise you, your flesh don't want to live holy. Mm -mm, Not at all. The Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season to the flesh. So man, it's the fear of God. And see, the fear of God is a necessity in order to follow God. 
You know, I think one of the reasons that we have a hard time fearing God is because we actually don't understand the power of God. We don't get the power of God. We haven't had a revelation of who Jesus actually is, that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. I don't, I don't think we, we quite understand that. And so we, don't, so we don't fear him. And I think the reason why is because we brought him to our level. So we've put God here like we're on an even playing field with God. Because after all, I'm not supposed to fear you and I'm taught not to have other people fear me, which is good, by the way. People shouldn't fear you. It's probably really bad if somebody fears you. However, you're probably a bully. But if, so, so, we're, so we're taught that, right? And so then we look at God the same way. Oh, well, I'm not supposed to fear him. We've, we've brought him to our level. But listen to me, there's nothing and no one on planet earth or above the earth or under the earth like God. No one. No one. So we can't deal with God the way we deal with everyone else because he's not like anyone. He's not like anyone else. Isaiah chapter 55, God tells us this. He reminds us. He says, as the heavens are far above the earth, so are my ways far above your ways. So are my thoughts far above your thoughts. He's reestablishing his dominion, his power, his position to make sure we understand that we are to fear him. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter one, for the foolishness of God is wiser than any human wisdom. In other words, God at his stupidest point is smarter than us at our smartest point. Like that's literally what he's trying to say and get across. I said a little bit more uncouth, but that's what he's saying. He goes on and he says, and the weakness of God is stronger than any human strength. Wow. In other words, God is greater than us and it ain't even close. <laughs> it's not even close. We've got to stop bringing God to our level. We have to because he's not. And did you know what else? Just as a tidbit sidebar for you, I'll give it to you for free. It's not even close with the enemy either. The enemy's not even close to God. Like it's no match for God. God said, you're done. And he was kicked out of heaven like a bolt of lightning. It's not even close. See, because we've brought God to our level, we think that God is struggling in heaven with the battle that's happening. Not at all. Not at all. God's not working towards victory. He is operating from victory, period. He wins, period. But because we bring him to, him, to, to our level, now we think God is fearing the enemy. Like we fear that. No, it's not the way it goes. But man, we got to fear God. Did you know in Psalms chapter 135, it says this, God does whatever he pleases on the earth. I like that. God does whatever he pleases on the earth. Listen, this verse should fear, cause us to fear him. He does whatever he pleases, not what, not what pleases us. See, I think the reason we don't fear him again is because we think what pleases him pleases us or what pleases us is automatically pleasing to him. That's just not true. Matter of fact, I would argue it's probably quite the opposite most of the time. Most of the time I can make an argument, it's opposite. I'm telling you, every, every time God told me to do something, at first, I didn't want, it didn't please me. Like when he called me into ministry, I said, no, 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 Lord, I don't want that. I don't want nothing to do with that. But I knew God was calling me. So a lot of times, man, one of the surefire way is if we're so excited about what we think God is telling us because when our flesh gets excited, it's not God. <laughs> it's opposite. See, we can't get confused and think that what pleases us is automatically pleasing to God. 
But see, this, this topic is confusing for people. And people often ask me this, they say, well, am I supposed to be scared of God? Am I supposed to be scared of God? And let me just say this, if you're living in sin, yes. If we're living in sin, we should be terrified of God. Absolutely terrified. Because the Bible says it this way, that God detests sin. The Bible says that the Lord tests the righteous but he hates the wicked. Think about that. The Bible says that sin leads to death. Why? Because it separates us from God and God will judge us according to our sin. So yeah, if we're living in sin, we should be terrified of the God of heaven. But for us who have given our life to Jesus, but for us who have said, man, I, I'm following him. And again, again, not perfect. We're not, we're not, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about progression that on our way to sanctification, as we're walking this life with Christ, there's going to be times where you'll be tempted and you'll go to the left or the right for the moment. But then man, you fix your eyes right back on the author and perfecter of your faith. And you forget what lies behind you and you press toward the high call that you have in Christ heavenward. Amen. This is why the Bible says a righteous man will fall seven times, but every time he gets right back up. But there's a difference between falling into sin and then choosing to live a life of sin. There's a complete difference between those two. It's very contrast. It's a contrasting difference. And if we're choosing to live a life of sin, then we better be scared of him. But if not, if we're pursuing, pursuing God, wanting to live for God, then we don't have to be afraid of him. We don't have to be scared of him. You know why? Because we're being saved by him not to be scared of the one who is saving you. And this is where people get all screwed up and hung up when it comes to the fear of God. Am I supposed to be scared of God? Am I? And see, what happens is a lot of people misrepre misrepresent the fear, the fear of God. And people have a hard time because they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. God loves me. God is love and, and God loves me. So, so why would I be why would I fear him if he, if he loves me? The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fears. So, so why, would I, why would I fear him? This just doesn't make sense to me. And people misrepresent it. Let me tell you, if people are telling us that we have to be scared of God if we're living for God, that's a religious spirit. And religious spirits are meant to control from fear. That's what they do. They, they control you out of, out of fear. But God isn't wanting to control us. He wants us to choose him. He, he loves us. He's not trying to control us. Listen, if God wanted to control you, guess what? He can make you do whatever he wanted you to do. He's completely sovereign. Listen, God is so powerful that he limited his own power for a time. I want you to think about that. That's incredible. He's so powerful that he said, ah, I won't, I'll let them choose me. This is how powerful God is. But if he wanted to, he could make all of us do exactly what he wanted us to do. But he doesn't. Instead, he gives us free will. He gives us a choice. So now we can choose whether or not we want to serve him. We can choose whether or not we want to fear him. We can choose whether or not we want to love him. See, see, love, perfect love says, I won't make you do anything. You're going to choose what you want to do. One of the greatest ways that I display my love to my wife is letting her choose to come home every night to me. <laughs> And boy, she's so excited when she gets home. It's like a party every night. She's like, yeah, I'm gonna come home. No, that's not true. I see that in my mind though. I, 
I'm quite the encourager for myself. Uh, but but that, that, that's how we display our love is giving people a choice. You can choose whether or not you, you love me. That's perfect love. And that's the goodness of God to say, hey, you got a choice. You got a choice. Because here's the thing. God wants to be intimate with you and I. He wants an intimate relationship with us. He doesn't want a religious commitment from us. He does not. He wants an intimate relationship. He wants to know us and he wants us to know him. That's what he desires. God is so passionate about getting to know us and being close to us that the psalmist writes this, that God says, my thoughts towards you outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. My thoughts towards you. That's what God says. My thoughts towards you outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. There is a lot of sand on the earth. A lot. I want you to think about all the lakes, right? All the lakes with all the beaches around the lakes and all the oceans with all the beaches and every golf course with a bunch of sand on it that I find myself in every time I play. Praise God. But there's a ton of sand, guys. A ton of sand on the earth. And God says, my thoughts towards you outnumber that. They outnumber that. Listen to me. I, I tell you, man, I love my wife a ton. Like she is my best friend in the whole world. We've been together almost 16 years now. And man, we've watched God do incredible things over our life together. And it's been an amazing ride with her. And I wouldn't want to spend it with anybody else. And I think about my wife all the time. Matter of fact, I think about her all day long. And sometimes she distracts me from my day, even though she's not with me most of the day, right? So I think I'm doing pretty good when it comes to thinking of my wife, because I do it a lot. But I bet you that if I took a bunch of sand and I tried to you know, measure out how much I think of her, with sand, I bet you I wouldn't even be able to fill up a small box. Just because sand's little, man. I, I bet you I could even fill a small box up with sand. But did you know this? Scientists say this, that one cubic yard, one cubic yard of beach has 1.8 billion grains of sand in it. Think about that. 1.8 billion, not million, billion. That's how much is just in one cubic yard. And think about how vast the beaches are in the world. This is how much God thinks about you and I. And here's the beautiful th truth. God doesn't exaggerate. See, he's not like pastors. Now, I don't ever exaggerate. I tell you just straight, I shoot straight. <laughs> Fishermen, they are always exaggerating. I'm just saying, like, oh, I got a fish this big. It was actually this big. And they pushed the, the fish up in front of the camera so it looks really big. You know what I mean? Like, some hunters do the same thing, though. They're like, you should have seen this buck I shot. Well, where's the, where's the head of it at? Oh, well, I, I do it for food, not for sport. You know what I mean? Like, okay. Yeah, okay. But see, God doesn't exaggerate. People exaggerate. God doesn't. And when he says, my thoughts towards you outnumber the grains of sand that the earth has. How awesome is that? This is how much God wants to know us, how much God is thinking about us, how much God loves us. It's incredible. And if God loves us that much, he doesn't desire for us to be scared of him because he desires for us to be intimate with him, but he does desire us to fear him. Throughout the scriptures, we see how God is, is pursuing man to have a relationship with man. That's what he desired from the beginning. Let's make man and woman in my, in my own image. And they walk together in the cool of the day. And this is what God desires and he wants. So he doesn't want us to be scared of him because you can't really be close to someone you're scared of. 
Like, like you really can't, you, you know, you, you can't be intimate with that person. I mean, that would be really, I think that'd be really difficult to be if you were scared of somebody. So God doesn't want that, but God does desire for you to fear him. And let me tell you what the word fear is for God, fear God. It's called venerate, to venerate God. This is the fear of God, to venerate, which means to be in awe of, to be inspired by, to be like, you're in awe and wonder of who he is. It means to, 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 to desire to draw closer to him than anyone or anything else. That's what venerate means. And this is God's desire for us. And this is what the fear of God does for us and what it means to us. We venerate him. He, he wants us to desire to draw close to him every single day so that we would desire to, to know him more than anyone or anything. And that then our response towards him, after we venerate and we see him, he's always oh, high and lifted up. Our response to him would be, I just want you, use me any way that you see fit because I fear you, oh God. God desires us to come reverently before him. I said this last week, I think we become too casual with God. Way too casual, because again, we've brought him to our level when he is high above the earth. That doesn't mean we can't approach him, but man, we need to come reverently before him in awe and wonder of him. And then our response is, I'll give you everything, God. My fear of you, I will give you everything. I'll give you my wife. I'll give you my husband. I'll give you my kids. I'll give you my business. I'll give you my finances. I'll give it all to you, Jesus. Every bit of it. This is the fear of God. That's what it means to fear God. To have an understanding that, yeah, 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 God created me. And yes, one day God will judge me. That's what the Bible says. But how beautiful it is, is that same God loves me so much that he gave his life for me. This is how much he loves me. And my response to that is I venerate you. I fear you, oh God. I'm in awe of who you, of who you are. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that it brings us to the knowledge and understanding of who God is, of who he is. This is what the fear of God does for us. The goal is so that the fear of God works through us so that others see this and they're attracted to it. You ever been around people that are so hungry for the things of God? It is so contagious, it's, it's insane. And this is what God wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. Because if we don't fear God, hear me, if we don't fear God, we won't take serving God seriously. We will not. If we don't fear God, we won't take his word seriously. We won't even think about opening it every day. But you fear him, you're in awe of him, you'll be in it every day. If we don't fear him, we won't take worshiping him serious. If we don't fear him, we won't take coming to church serious either. We'll come if we can. If it fits into our schedule, we'll do it. If not, oh well, no big deal. It's cool. God's cool with it. But if we feared God, we've, this is an opportunity to come with some body of believers and be touched by the God who created me. I'm gonna take it very, very seriously. Man, when we do fear him, then man, we receive wisdom from him. And then he'll begin to draw us closer and closer to him. And we never thought it would be that possible to know him the way that we know him. Psalms 25, and I mentioned this last week. This is so good. I love this Psalm. It says, the secrets of the Lord. 
is for those who fear him. The secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him. How many of you realize this, that when people tell their secrets to you, it makes you closer to them? Or maybe you would rather them not tell you, but I'm just saying. But it's because they wanna be close to you. Secrets are told in the intimate place only with those who are, you are intimate with, that's it. People that you trust tremendously, they get your secrets. And God is saying, man, for those who fear me, I will reveal my secrets to them. The mysteries of the gospel. See, he desires to know us that well and for us to know him that well. And so he desires us to fear him so that we trust him. This is why the title of the message is called Trust Fear. Trust Fear. See, we need a paradigm shift. I said this last week at the beginning of the message. We need a paradigm shift on, on fear. Because every time we think of fear, we think of things like this. We think of harmful things. We think of dark things. We, we think of things that try to, try, try to cripple us and bind us. But when God speaks of fear, it's meant to free us. The fear of God is meant to free us. And so we gotta learn to trust in the fear of God, trust fear and not run from fear. We've gotta realize that the reason we fear the things in this world is because we don't fear God. That's what we learned last week. The reason we fear this world and the things that are happening around us because we don't have a healthy fear of who God is. We're not walking in the fear of the Lord. Man, we gotta trust fear. And I love our text for today, this Psalms 115 passage. And we're gonna read it again, 9, 10, and 11, because it's all setting us up to hear trust fear. That's what it's setting us up for. And this is what it says. It says, Israel. Someone shout Israel. 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 Now, something you gotta realize about the word Israel here, it obviously means the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, but it also means the people of God. See, the Bible says that if we've given our lives to Christ, now we are called sons and daughters of the most high God, that God has grafted us in to his tree, to his family lineage, and we are now all considered children of Abraham if we've given our lives to Jesus. And so this isn't just a promise for the nation of Israel. This is the promise for the people of God. Israel, people of God, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. See, we need to, to be a people who trust God. And then he's saying, then God will be the one to help us and protect us. The psalmist writes in 121, Psalms 121, one through five, he says, I will lift my eyes unto the hills for where my help comes from. It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip, not even your foot to slip. He'll be there for every step. He watches over you and will not slumber. Behold, he watches over Israel, the people of God. He watches over his people. He protects them. And he will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your protector. Man, we got to trust God. Jeremiah 17 verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water. We talked about being a tree a couple weeks ago. Man, we've got to be a people who are, who are a tree and not a weeping willow tree, but an oak tree. Stand firm upon our trust in who God is. We've got to be a people who trust him. And then he goes on into verse 10. It says, house of Aaron, 
house of Aaron, which means the Levitical priestly lineage, right? The Levitical tribe. That was God. That's the house of Aaron. And, they, and God set them up to be his priests. And see, the good news is, is the Bible says that now if we have given our lives to Christ, you and I, we are now a royal priesthood, a holy nation, separated unto God's glory. The Bible says that the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave lives in us, that the Holy Spirit lives in us, making us the temple of the Holy Spirit, the priests. We are now considered kings and priests ourselves. And so this is, this is us, house of Aaron. It's our promise. It's our promises as well. Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. In verse 11, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. You who fear the Lord will trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. This is how important it is to fear God, to understand the fear of God. Because those who fear God will put their trust in God. That's literally what that's telling us. Very simple very straight to the point. What this is saying is, is, is also this. He's saying, even if you are an Israelite, even if you are, your, your birthright is from Israel, even if you are, even if you are from the Levitical tribe, right? And you are a part of the priestly lineage for real, like you were born into it. Even if you say you know God, that doesn't mean you trust God. He says the one who fears God, that's the one who will trust God. See, the fear of God is a sign of trust. But when we look at fear, we think it's the absence of trust. But God says, oh, no, no. If you fear me, then I know you trust me. You know, when I was studying this, this message, I started thinking about the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? How many of you are familiar with Abraham and Isaac? Yeah, father, Abraham and many sons, many sons. Yeah, I think about that song every time I bring his name up. <clears throat> Father Abraham had many sons, right? And God promised him one son with his wife, Sarah. He had another son, but that was outside of actually God's will. But God promises him with his wife, Sarah, I'm, I'm gonna give you a son and you're gonna call him Isaac. This is, this is actually God's promise. And when God actually tells it to Abraham, right? Abraham's very old, not like a little old, but uber old, like super old, like been dead for about 15 years now, old. You know what I mean? If he lived in our time. Right? He's 100 years old, over 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. These two aren't gonna have a geriatric pregnancy, right? Like they're gonna have like an uber super geriatric pregnancy. Like this ain't even making sense, right? Matter of fact, it messed up Abraham so bad he fell down. The Bible says he fell on his face and started laughing and said in his own heart, there's no way this can happen. I'm way too old. I've been living for you, God, for the first hundred years. I didn't get a kid. And now you're saying I'm a hundred and now you're gonna give me one? And guess what? It happened just the way God said it would happen. Ain't that amazing? That we can trust the word of God. That when the word of the Lord says something, he's faithful to fulfill what he, what he said. Amen. Sure enough, God's faithful. Sarah becomes pregnant. Matter of fact, the Bible says in their ripe old age, Isaac was born. The promise of God came to Abraham and Sarah at a ripe old age. And what's incredible to me is after Abraham waited all them years, many, many, many years for this promise to come to pass, when he finally gets the promise, God says, now I want you to sacrifice the promise. Now I want you to take your son and sacrifice him, him to me. 
See, God was testing him to see if Abraham desired the promise more than God. And so God was like, I'm gonna test you to make sure you want me more than anything, that you venerate me, that you want me more than anything or anyone. Even if the thing that you love is the thing I gave you, I still wanna know you'll give it up for me. I still wanna see that. And this tells us that there'll be times in our lives when we know God has given us a promise, that we've been praying for something. We knew we had a word from God and God gave us the thing we've been praying for and the thing he spoke to our hearts. But there'll be times when he'll ask for it back. Give it back to me. You had it for a time, but you're gonna give me back the promise now. You bring it and sacrifice it to prove to me you would rather have me than something from me. And this is what he says to Abraham. Sacrifice the promise, sacrifice your son. And did you know the Bible says this, that Abraham didn't even question it in his heart? Man, I don't know, man, that's intense, right? Didn't even question his own heart to, to kill his son and offering to God as a burnt offering. Didn't even question it. Instead, man, he gets the donkey loaded up, starts taking him. And, you know, think about Isaac, though, too, man. On the way up there, Isaac's like, hey, dad, where's the sacrifice? Right? He's like, where's it at? I don't see it. How are we going to sacrifice anything with no, with no sacrifice? And, and he says, don't worry, son, God will provide. Don't worry, son, God will provide. Of course, they get up to the top of the mountain. He builds the altar. And he says, son, you're the sacrifice. And he ties his own son up with rope and lays him on the altar. And the Bible says, when he lifted up his knife to bring it down on his son, it says, the angel of the Lord said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, do not reach out your hand against the boy and do not do anything to him. For now I know that you what? You fear God. For now, I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham feared God so much that he never doubted God, not even for a moment. He even said, even if I kill my son, God is faithful to raise him back up. Think about that. The fear of God caused him to trust God so much with his most prized possessions. This is what the fear of God will do for us when we have a revelation of him and we venerate him. It's incredible. Even if it's things we know that God gave us, if we, if we fear him, we'll trust him and say, God, I'll give it back to you. And if you want me to have it, you'll give it right. You'll give it back. One more story found in Matthew chapter eight, Luke chapter eight, and Mark chapter four, and then I'll close. You guys still with me? You getting anything? You getting anything? Let me see how long I've had you. Oh man, we got another hour. Just kidding. I don't, I don't even want to talk another hour. But um, yeah, where is that? Matthew eight, Luke eight, Mark chapter four. The, the scene of this story is taking place on the Sea of Galilee in a boat, the disciples and Jesus, Okay. Now, leading up to the story, what you find is, is the disciples and Jesus are having a gospel crusade. There's thousands of people flocking to Jesus, thousands of people, and they're being healed. And Jesus is preaching the word of God with power and with signs and wonders and miracles are following him. Everywhere he goes, the Bible says that everyone who come to him was healed by him. Everyone. And after they get done with this gospel crusade, Jesus is like, hey, we got to go to the other side because we got an appointment with a demoniac. 
I'm gonna go and deliver this guy, set him free, amen, in Jesus' name, right? And so they go to, to hop on the boat and go, and the, and the Bible says that Jesus grabs a cushion and he goes below deck. As soon as he hops on, because man, Jesus was tired, he was exhausted, he just healed thousands of people, right? And he walks on, grabs a cushion, goes underneath in the bottom of the below deck and goes to sleep. The disciples are managing the boat. They're getting him to the other side, to the, to the next appointment that they had. And as they're on their way across the Sea of Galilee, what happens is a violent storm arises on the sea. Some of us says a gale-like force wind. Come on, another version would say it like, translation would be like, well, it's, it's a hurricane-like storm that arose on the Sea of Galilee. And man, it scared these dudes. And what you've got to realize is these, these guys, it wasn't like there was their first time for every one of them to be on a boat. Some of these guys were fishermen. They, they fished right there in the Sea of Galilee. Like they knew the sea. They'd been through storms. They'd seen storms. They knew how to navigate a boat in a storm. But this storm was so fierce, the Bible says, that they feared for their life. They thought they were going to, to die. And I can just see the, the scene in the Bible. I can just see it playing out before me. They're each grabbing the, the buckets and trying to throw the water because it says that the, that the waves crashed into the boat, kept crashing into the boat and about capsized the boat. And so they'd have been taking the water that came in the boat, trying to throw it out of the boat to keep them afloat. That's what they'd have been doing. And I would, I would guarantee they'd be yelling at each other, right? Grab the oar, whatever. I don't even know how to drive a boat, but I'm just saying, whatever you would say to drive a boat, starboard, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they'd say. Anyway, they'd be saying stuff, right? And they'd be, they, they would be screaming at each other, right and left, probably start blaming each other, just like we probably would. Like, if you'd have done this, we'd have been fine. If you'd have done that, we'd have been fine. And this is what's really funny to me about the story, right? Really funny is Jesus is still asleep in the boat. He doesn't even get up. Now think about that. These guys are scared to death that they're gonna die. Like, oh my goodness, we're gonna die. Jesus fast asleep, the Bible says. Still on the cushion, by the way. <laughs> the, the, the waves didn't even knock him off his cushion. I'm just saying. But meanwhile, the disciples are up on the top deck trying to survive and they begin to go back and forth who's gonna wake Jesus up? And I could just see it, right? Peter telling John, John, you're the one whom Jesus loves. You're the disciple he loves. You go wake him up, right? John like, no, 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 Matthew, you're a tax collector. You, you extorted me for money, so you owe me. You go wake him up. All of them saying, no, 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 I'm not waking him up. You wake him up. They're pointing fingers, pointing fingers, pointing fingers. And then finally, the Bible says that they go, that all of them go to wake him up. And this is what it says in verse 38. The disciples say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we're in a storm? Do you not care that we're scared? Do you not care that we're, that we're going to die? Do you not care about us, Jesus? Verse 39 says this, Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. Oh, I love that. Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm on the sea. You know, I wonder how many times in our lives have we been in storms, violent storms in life? And it feels like all of life is crashing in around us, pressing us from every side. And we can't seem to find a way out. Like it's hard to see which way, which way to go and 
Maybe even at times it felt like we're gonna die in the midst of it. And we start, we start saying the same type of thing to God, like, God, where are you? God, where are you? Don't you even care that I'm hurting right now? Don't you even care? God, I feel like I'm gonna die, but, but, but I can't feel you anywhere. You don't care what's happening to me. I don't know about anybody. I've been there in my life before, saying those types of things to the Lord. But you know what God taught me through the midst of every single storm? That he was always with me, that he never did leave me. He never did forsake me, not even one time. I found that through every single storm that I've walked through in my life. God has used that storm to develop me and to develop a trust deep within inside of me, rooted in the deepest parts of my belly, to know that God is for me. This is what storms have the ability to do for us. They will cause us to trust God more than we did before. This is the beauty of the storm. And I will bet you that if I went around the room and was talking to each and every one of you, that most of us here over this past 24 months have found ourselves in storms, violent storms. Feels like everything in, in life is, is pressing in on us. That at times we felt so depressed and so lonely. Maybe we lost our job. Maybe we lost a loved one. Maybe whatever the storm might be, maybe that's you today. I really feel like the Lord wants to remind you and encourage you that God is greater than the storm you're in that he's gonna walk with you through the storm that you find yourself in and in the storm that you will about to go through. Because the truth is in this life, you will face trials of many kinds. So we're gonna, we're gonna walk through trials. We're gonna walk through storms. But knowing and understanding that if God is for me, then nothing and no one can stand against me. Amen. That God will walk me right through the valley, right through the storms of life. Then in verse 40, Jesus looks at them and he says this, why are you scared? Do you still have no faith? In other words, after you've seen all that I can do, after you've witnessed me do all these miracles in front of you, do you still not trust me? Do you still not know that I love you and that I'm for you? Do you still not know that? Even though the, my thoughts towards you outnumber the grains of sand on the earth, do you still not realize that I, I love you and so I'm for you? And in verse 41, this is what it says, and I love this. They became very fearful and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you see the transition that took place right there before our eyes? The storm they were just in became the very thing that God used to give them a revelation of who Jesus is. The, the very thing. He took what the enemy meant for harm, what the enemy meant to kill him, kill, kill them with, and flipped it around. And now they realized who Jesus is at an even greater extent than they ever had before. They were no longer scared of what was happening around them or what they had just walked through because they trusted him. And their fear of him caused them to trust him more than they feared the storm that they were just in. It's actually beautiful. And why is it so beautiful? Because this is why they had to fear God greater than any other fear on the earth because later they are going to be called to kill, to die for, for God. They're, they're gonna be killed for their belief in Jesus. They had to trust him with everything that's within them. 
When we learn about the fear of God, we will find out how much we trust God, how much we trust him so that we can get to this place where we're anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we'll make our request known to God. And then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, no matter what's happening around us. See, we gotta trust. We gotta trust. For, we've got to venerate. Venerate God. Not be scared of God. Go ahead and stand to your feet, please. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 20, 29, it says this, the fear of man, the fear of man lays a snare. It tries to trap you. It tries to cripple you. It tries to bind you. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, fear him and he will direct your path. He will make your path straight. Man, we gotta be a people who, who fear God so that we're a people who trust God. You know, here's the difference between being scared of God and fearing God. There's a difference, a huge difference. Being scared of God means this. We're trying to hide something from God. There's something in our lives we don't want God to see. We don't want to come to him, so we're scared of him. And so, so we try to hide from God. Newsflash, you can't hide from God, by the way. But this is what we do. We're scared of him because we're trying to hide something from him. But the person who fears God, they're scared to be away from God. They're not scared of God. They're scared to be away from God, so they give their life fully to him. And that's the difference. And that's what we're called to to do fear, to fear God. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Lord, I pray right now that there would be this fear that would come upon us so that we would venerate you, that we would be in awe and wonder of who you are, oh God. I pray that right now. Fear of the Holy Spirit begin to grip our hearts let the fear of God come upon us, changing every part of us, leading us into this place, oh God, where we trust you with everything in our lives. I pray that, God, let us realize that fear doesn't have to be such a negative thing, but that, God, you use your fear upon us to cause us to trust you, to test us, to make sure we're trusting you. And Lord, I lift up each and every person within the sound of my voice, I pray, God, that you would strengthen them, that you would quicken them, help them to understand the fear of who you are. Give us a deeper revelation of who you are, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would trust you and realize that you are our helper, that you are our shield. Let us walk that way. Let us talk that way. Let us rejoice and celebrate life that way. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen.